like him. And so that's what week one was all about. And then, uh, Pastor Daniel came in week two and talked about and really asked the question, are you a conformer or a confronter? And, you know, and there's a, there's a healthy right way to confront. Now, there's obviously a, a wrong, unhealthy way to confront as well. But there is something to be said is that we, you know, I mean, we don't see it as much anymore. But how many of you can remember the bumper stickers that had all the, all the fish going that way and the one little one going that way? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, or maybe it was a t-shirt or something, and it was all about just going against the flow. Well, that is what we're called to do. We're not just called to just live our life just in the way of culture. Romans 12 talks about that. It says, don't just um, live your life, let your life be transformed by the way that you think. Why? So that your life will glorify God. And that is the goal of all of our lives. Regardless of our function, regardless of our situation, circumstance, God's desire is that we would honor him with every part of our life. And so um, Pastor Daniel talked about uh, really about our identity being hidden in Christ. In other words, I can't identify by my job. I can't identify by my, fam- by my natural family. I can't identify by my hobbies or my likes and my dislikes. Like Those are things that I may do, but that's not who I am. And so, like, for me, I'm not, let me say it this way, I I preach, but I'm not a preacher. I am a son of God first. And so your job, how many of you, if somebody asks you, oh, well, who are you? You'd be like, oh, well, I'm a plumber. I'm a doctor. I'm a, you know, whatever, whatever function. I'm a teacher. I'm a a, a stay-at-home mom. And we identify these things, but that is not who we are. That's what we do. And our identity is actually to be hidden in Christ, in other words, we're to look to him to see who we really are. And so when we do those things, it actually keeps things in the proper perspective. And then uh, last week, Pastor Sean shared about, uh, which I loved his definition of the kingdom of God, which was, uh, it's anywhere that the king is known. Like, well, where is the kingdom? Anywhere that Jesus is known and understood. Anywhere that Jesus is believed. That's the kingdom of God in action. And, and so he got into our favorite subject of all, forgiveness. You know, and I love this quote that he used from C.S. Lewis. It says, to be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable, and I'm going to add this, in others, <laughs> because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. And so many times, and we can be challenged in our life, and this is a very countercultural thought right now, because right now we live in the cancel culture. I don't like what you said. I don't agree with what you said, so you just need to shut your mouth. And I mean, we're just going to cancel you. Like, you can't say anything, which I do think it's kind of interesting because obviously in, um, if you happen to watch very many comedians, they're kind of offensive. And they're starting to push back a little bit. Uh, not a little bit. They're starting to push back a lot against a lot of the cancel culture because they're like, you know, if you can't take a good joke, you got a problem. You know, and yet that is the culture in which we live. It, you know, is that there is no, we can agree to disagree. It's like, no, either I'm right and you're wrong or we're not going to talk. And we're just going to not be friends. We're not going to be in the same room. We're not going to associate at all. And yet the Bible tells us to be quick to fix a burnt bridge. To be the one who goes and makes amends to those things. And, and, and so, but we can be challenged in the fact of that we want to receive forgiveness a lot quicker than we want to give it out. And that is the challenge. And yet the Bible tells us that, hey, if you want to be forgiven, then you have to forgive. Well, that's challenging. And I don't like that. 
But it's, there's still wisdom in that. There's still protection in that for me. And so um, today we're going to jump into part four. So I'll just kind of give you a little bit of a recap. And if you haven't uh, been able to watch those, I would encourage you to go back and watch the previous messages. And, uh, you know, but as I've already said, many times we can be challenged by the truth that we see in the scriptures. Now, whether you believe it or not today, the Bible is true. The Bible in Timothy says that all scripture is inspired by God, that it's given for our instruction, for our reproof, so correction. I mean, and, and that it's given and it's God breathed, it's God inspired. And so you can say, well, that's not true for me, but it doesn't change that it is true. God's word has proven for thousands of generations, and even after we're gone, God's word will be true. And God's word is true in every culture. It doesn't matter if it's in America. It doesn't matter if it's in Africa. It doesn't matter if it's in Asia. It doesn't matter if it's 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. God's word has proven true and reliable. You know, there's no book of the Bible that has predicted the future with the accuracy of the scriptures. And we're still seeing it fulfilled. But there's no other book. There's also not been any other book that has been contested as much as the Bible. Scores of people have said, we're going to wipe the Bible off the face of the planet, and they die, and the Bible's still here. Even in the mountains of evidence that support that Scripture is true, if you go and look in the arts and those types of things, there are books that, we, that society holds to be true that can be validated two, three, maybe four or five times. At the most, and they're like, oh, this is absolute, this is belief, like this is the truth, this is accurate. And yet the Bible has thousands of things that support it, and people and accounts and all kinds of things that these things actually happen, and yet they still want to try to question its validity. That's not the message today, but it's still good anyways. And uh, I did make the joke to Sean this morning. I said, hey, he left me 20 minutes, so I'm going to claim it this week. And uh, that's not really true, but... How many of y'all were so thankful that he let y'all out at like 11.05 last week? I heard there were lots of smiling faces on the way out, and I'm sorry, I'm back, you know, I, you just, but it is what it is. So, but many times we can be challenged with the scriptures, but we have to know that God has spoken to us through truth for our benefit, for our instruction, for our correction, and, and so when we begin to do these things and when we really begin to look at it is that the word of God flies in the face of what culture tells us how to act, what our emotions will tell us to do. I mean, I've had the word of God check me in the middle of my emotional freak out. Calm down. Don't say that. I'm like, but I want to. I have to. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, you don't. I'm on the inside of you. You don't have to do that. You don't have to say that. You don't have to respond that way. When everything in me is going, yes. I've even had it where logically, I've had the Lord speak something to me. I'm like, God, that don't even make sense. That's not logical. I don't think God asks us to follow logic. I think he asks us to follow him. And the Bible says that he will take the foolish things to confound the wise. And so sometimes God will say, I'm going to ask you to do something stupid because you think you're so smart. Let's see how obedient you are. 
And I've had the Lord do that, and it's like, brain, I've got to turn you off. I, I've got to get out of here, and I've just got to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to take a step of faith. This makes no sense to me, but I want to follow you, and I want, I want to do what you've called me to do. And so anytime that we have these ideas, I really struggled with the title of this series because I didn't really like it being called the Upside Down Kingdom because really the kingdom of God is the, it's the right side up. We live upside down. We just don't know it. But yet when we begin to find out what God's word has to say to us, it begins to shape us. It begins to transform us. And so let me give you a couple definitions. These are just my personal definitions, so you can take it for what it's worth. But this is how I define what culture is. Is that culture is the filter by which we see or interpret our lives. In other words, it's the environment around us and it's teaching us things all the time. Whether you realize it or not, you're a student of culture. Why? Because you're influenced by it. You're like, I don't believe that. You're sitting on the couch and an ice cream commercial comes on and you're like, I think I want some ice cream. You're, you're literally being shaped by the culture. Nobody got my joke. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. But that's what happens. And it's, it's that simple, but you would be surprised. I mean, you know, me and Dara have been talking about this because obviously we've been having lots of conversations, not just us, but with a lot of different people about different things that we don't always talk about, like different places we want to go or this and that. And now all of a sudden Facebook is flooded with ads from all these places that we've talked about. It's like, <laughs> I'll be listening. Right? And those things are shaping so don't think that you're not being, let me say it this way, culture is leading you down a road. And if, you, and if you don't, if you're not mindful, you'll just go down that path. But that's not the path that God has for you. And so we need to really flip that script. We need to begin to look to God's word as truth for us and as a, uh, really as a true north for us. If you know anything about um, like a compass or anything, true north is really important. Because you can have a map, and you can know exactly where you are, but if you're using your compass, and you don't know where north is, you can have your map upside down and go right the wrong way. And the Bible acts like an anchor to keep us where there's a true north. The Bible actually describes Jesus this way, is that he's the anchor of our soul. It talks about that in Hebrews. He's the anchor of our souls, and so... Uh, so Culture is the filter by which we see and interpret our lives, and it's shaped by a few things, shaped by events. So let me give you a couple. Depending on your generation, each one of these could label you. World War II, my grandparents, their life was shaped by two things primarily. The Depression, that was an event, and World War II. And their whole life was lived out of those two experiences, that generation is called the greatest generation, right? I think many of us would probably agree they probably were the greatest generation in many ways. So that's one thing. How many of you in this room can remember the spot you were when you heard that JFK got shot? How many of you remember the place that you were the day of 9-11? That, that shaped you. It still does. You're like, oh, no, it doesn't. Every time you get on a plane, you think differently. It changed you. 
Now, you, here's another one. This is a little closer to home, but not directly here, but Katrina. You could also add Laura. Like, that experience changes you. It does. Those, those, those events. And so there's, there's, there's things that happen in our society that change us. There's also entertainment. And this is like the sleeping giant of what I believe shapes us because it, 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 it's a mass audience. It, it's like a megaphone that gets used that somebody with a platform can make a, a, a statement that affects masses of people. So entertainment includes a lot of things. It's literature. It's music. It's the arts. It's film. It's sports. There's lots of things that entertain us. In other words, they keep us mentally busy. They keep us distracted. You can include fashion into that. You could even include leaders and and other voices that really spark change, and some for the good and some for the not so good. But that's culture, and culture is always shifting. You know, one thing that I have seen and I believe is that no generation wants what their parents had. They don't want their parents' music. They don't want their parents' clothes. They don't want their parents... Much anything. They want a different experience. And that's true. You can see that. If you go through the different, even just of the generations from where you are today to your grandparents, you can see. We don't dress like they did in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. The 90s is trying to make a comeback. We need to make sure that one doesn't come back. But, you know, it's trying. It's trying. But, you know, and so these things shape us. And so we are affected by culture. And if we say that we're not, we're kind of deceiving ourselves like we are being marketed to and sold to constantly so culture is trying to uh really affect us and so the other side of this is you know how do we define what a kingdom is not just the kingdom of god but any kingdom is it a kingdom really in my mind in my opinion is this every kingdom has a mindset it's a way of thinking And if you've ever traveled outside of our country, you know every country has a mindset. Some are more similar, some are more different, but they're all a little bit unique. Like I'll give you an example of this. Uh, A number of years ago, Dara's sister Alina was in Australia. And so we had the opportunity. We're like, hey, flights are cheap. I don't remember what happened, but flights got crazy cheap. And I've always wanted to go to Australia. And I'm like, your sister's in Australia. Let's go to Australia. And uh, I'd been on a number of missions trips at that point. So we'd been in a number of countries And I went with a missionary mindset to those countries. But when I went to Australia, I was not in missionary mindset. I was in vacation mindset. And I'm thinking, man, this is the closest thing to America on the planet. It's going to be awesome. And I got there. They talked funny. They used words I didn't understand. Like, I remember I went to a pizza hut, and they're like, would you like Kransky on that? And I'm like, excuse me? What what is that? They really couldn't explain it, which should have told me something. But I was like, well, you know, try everything once. Let's put it on there. It was a sliced up hot dog. <laughs> they ruined my pizza. Ransky. I'm like, that's a hot dog. No, there were lots down the Australia was awesome, but it was not home. This is no joke. When we went to Australia, we flew back into LAX in, in Los Angeles. We landed at like four o'clock in the morning. I could have kissed the ground. And I was hunting for a Dr. Pepper. Nobody was open. But I have never been more ready to get my feet back on this soil as when I left Australia. Which is kind of crazy. Because I've been to third world countries. I've been to some developing countries. I've been different places. And I'm like, man, that wasn't always ready to come home. I could not wait to get back home. 
keep your weird sausage <laughs> down there. There are many odd things down there. I won't go into them all, but I'll just give you one because it's funny. I'm glad that you all are wearing deodorant today. You know, Alina, is that a true statement? Okay, she didn't have to say anything. See? Not making accusations, but she lived there for three years. So every kingdom, though, has a mindset. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of doing things. It's shared values. It's core beliefs. There's actions that are acceptable and unacceptable. Like you can go in even different parts of our country. You can even go in different parts of our state. And there are certain things that are acceptable in certain environments that are accepted in all environments. Why? Because there's different cultures. Our state has very diverse cultures. I mean, I tell people, because I, I know you all think like, oh yeah, North Louisiana is weird. Like I'm telling you, you travel I-10. You go from New Orleans to Lake Charles and the culture changes. And so does the food as you come across the state. They talk different in different areas. Now, I happen to think we have the best food in the state. So, I, God sent me to the right part. I thought I liked New Orleans food until I moved here. And then I visited New Orleans. I'm like, take me back home. I like our food better. No, but we have to understand is that even as an American, we have a kingdom mindset. Now, I know we don't have a king, but you kind of do. Whether we realize it or not, in our culture, we celebrate individuality. We celebrate that, man, it's that, and I love the pioneering spirit. I used to live in western Kansas, and it was very much a pioneering mindset. People were like, man, you know, we lived in a farming community, and if a farmer needed help, all the farmers came to help the one guy. It wasn't like, well, I probably, sorry, that, that's your problem. Like, no, no, no. They would all come together and help and do things, and it was just the way it was. And I love that mentality, but in America, we're sold this idea that we're independent. We have freedom. And we do have freedoms. And I'm very thankful for the freedoms that we have. I'm thankful that we can assemble like this. I'm thankful that we can worship, that we can gather and pray together without fear, without retribution, without all these things. Those are great freedoms to have. But how many of you know that your freedom can also create an opportunity to stumble? It can actually become a roadblock as well. And so what happens is, I believe, is that the, the kingdom mindset, mindset that dominates America is actually a me kingdom. It's my kingdom. It's what I want. It's what I need. It, it's I'm looking out for numero uno. That is the American kingdom mindset. And yet the Bible speaks very differently than that. Like drastically different. And, and so we have to be aware of this. And so this is an idea or a thought that we're going to have to wrestle with. We're raised to be individuals. We're raised to think like individuals. And yet the Bible calls us to, to really think and to be very different. Why? Because when we look to the scriptures, the stories that we read in the Bible, you're not going to read a lot of I, me. I mean, you can do a word search, a basic Bible word search and search I and me. There's few times that it's actually brought up in Scripture. 
And if you go look at the context of them, it's like Paul saying, I was on a boat and got shipwrecked. It'd be something like that. But it's not, you don't see it that way. What you do see, though, a lot is we and us. It's much more communal. In other words, people care about each other. People are aware and mindful of one another. And yet in our Americanized idea, if you want to say it that way, our American kingdom mindset, which is me, we'll actually miss out on who God is calling us to be because we're trying to be. And so this is something that we have to really look at. And so here in Matthew chapter 16, read you uh, two scriptures here. It's a fairly familiar passage of scripture, but Jesus is talking to his disciples. So if you want to put it into our modern context, Jesus is talking to the church. He's talking to us. He says, if anyone, if anyone wants to be my follower, says you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. Now, many of us love Jesus as Savior. We just don't like the concept of him as Lord. Because Lord says master. Lord says he's in charge. And it's exactly what he's saying right here. Give up your own way. In other words, lay your rights down. Lay what you want down Take up your cross and come and follow me. In other words, he's in the lead. You don't follow shoulder to shoulder, you follow behind. Because if you're doing this number, it's easy to get off course. But if you're behind, you can always see. One of the things, we went and hiked this, I don't know what, anyhow. We went on a hike in the jungle to go see a waterfall. And I don't know how many stairs later, thighs are burning, calves are hurting. I'm like, whose bright idea was this? She's sitting right over here. In, in, case, in case you were wondering, just in case. I'm sweating all over the place. They said there was going to be waterfalls and water and only water is dripping off my body. Got me out here in the jungle. It was worth it after an hour and a half of hiking. They didn't even offer me a bottle of water. Any water for that matter. But another story for another day. I don't even know where I was going. I totally lost my train of thought with that. Let me get back to the scriptures. You got to give up your own way. And you got to, oh, I know what it was. You got to follow. That's where it was. I'm a little rusty, guys. You got to follow, right? And so there was guides that took us up this trail and took us all over the place. But there were trails that went every which way. Because you'd be walking. You can go that way. You can go that way. And they're like, no, you got to go this way. You just keep following us. And they would stop. And I'm like, thank you, sir. Let me catch my breath. Like, okay, let's go. I'm like, no, sir. <laughs> but I don't want to get lost in the jungle. So I'm going to go follow you. That's where I was going with that. So you got to follow. Jesus makes this really remarkable statement that is extremely, extremely challenging. And I think sometimes we just kind of blaze right by it. But he says, if you try to hang on to your life, in other words, if you try to cling to it, 
If you're trying to do it your way, he says, if that's what you're trying to do, you're going to lose. Specifically, he says, you're going to lose it, your life. And what he's saying is not in the sense of like you're going to die. What he's saying is you're never going to find a fulfilled life. Your life will be empty. You may have all the stuff. You may pursue. You may get everything that you want and be like, I got here. But look at the bridges I burned to get here. Look at the relationships I lost. Look at the, 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 the devastation in the wake of my pursuit. And so now I have all this stuff and I have no one to enjoy it with. Stuff's not very fun if you don't have anybody to enjoy it with, by the way. And yet Jesus is speaking much deeper, but he says, man, if you try to cling and hang on to your life, you'll lose it. He says, but if you, and I'm going to add a word here, if you willingly give it up, if you choose to give it up for my sake, you will save it. Another translation says, if you'll give up your life for my sake, you will actually find it. You will find that fulfillment. You're going to find purpose that you've never had. Why? Because it's eternal. It's not just temporal. It's, it's actually everlasting. And he goes on, he says, and uh, what do you benefit if you gain the entire world but lose your own soul? Is there anything more valuable than your soul? Now, this is a rhetorical question, but let me answer it. No. There's nothing more valuable. Because it's the only eternal part of you. It's the only thing when you take your last breath here, it's the only thing that will continue. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, I'm giving you the key on how to tap into keeping things. And so what happens, though, is that we have to have this mentality. And I was reading, actually, a friend of mine sent me an article, actually, yesterday that I was reading. It was about, basically, why people are leaving the church, basically. Um, and so it was a nationally publicized article. But there was this one clip that it really stuck out to me. Uh, and he says this. He says the difficulty, and he's talking about kind of church culture and inside of our uh, life as well. But he says, the difficulty is that many of the wounds and the aches provoked by our current order, in other words, our current culture, aren't a sort that can be managed or life hacked away. See, we're guilty of this in the church is that we want to give you four steps to be happy, five steps to be blessed. But yet the Bible, you know, Jesus didn't teach that way. And yet we've kind of Americanized the gospel in many places. And sometimes you do that for context, but the truth still has to be the truth and the bedrock still has to be the bedrock. And he goes on to say, he says, that these things can only be resolved by changing one's life, by becoming a radically different sort of person belonging to a radically different sort of community. Whether you realize it or not, as a Christian, you are attempting to do something that is radically different than our culture. It's not like marginally different, kind of different, like maybe a little fringe different. No, you're way out on the fringe. It is very different to live the way that Christ instructs us to live. I mean, it is night and day. Like they are polar opposites. And yet the scriptures challenges us in so many ways. And so we have to lay down our kingdom, our priorities, if we really want to find real life. Here's, my, here's one of my challenging thoughts for you today, is what if when you stand before the Lord, which let me just help you, you have no reason to be afraid of that day, 
But what if you stand before the Lord and realize that your life, that you, let me say it this way, is that you won at the wrong game. I mean, I hate losing. I'm a terrible loser. I'll do minor cheating to not lose. Like, I hate losing. But the only thing worse would be to win at the wrong thing. The Bible says that when we stand before the Lord, everything's going to get tried by fire, and stuff stuff will just... Why? Because it's wood, hay, and it's stubble. In other words, it didn't really amount to anything. But said that there will be things that will remain. We precious God in different elements there that the scriptures list. I want my life to count. I want it to matter. I want your life to matter. I want it to add value, not just to you, but to others. And so this, as, as Christians, this is who we're called and instructed to be. And, and, but yet we can kind of get into this idea if we're not careful, and, and depending on our backgrounds and our, our, our church understanding, sometimes we can have this idea, and this is kind of a, it's a, you'll understand it when I say it, but sometimes we present the gospel like, hey, if we just sprinkle some Jesus dust over here and here, he's going to take care of these things. Like, he's my waiter. He's my bellman. Let me go get my genie out of the bottle, and I need two wishes today. That's not the way Jesus works. He doesn't come and just sprinkle a part of our life. He says, no, I I, I take over the whole thing. That's the goal. But the thing is, and I believe the challenge for us, is that sometimes we want to just allow God into this part and that part, and we kind of want to pick and choose which parts we allow him to come into. But then we wonder when we do that why things don't change. It's because we pick and choose the areas that we want him to speak to. And yet the things that would actually create real change in us are the things that we put, kind of locked the door and barred it and just said, nope, not coming in here. But yet that's the areas that he needs to get to so that we could see transformation happen in our lives. And so Jesus calls us to be fully devoted, fully committed followers. Fully committed, like all in kind of people. It's our relationship with him. You got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And And Jesus said, these are the two greatest commandments. He says, and the second one is like it. You got to love your neighbor as yourself, which... Week two, Pastor Daniel talked about this. Many times we struggle to love our neighbors because we don't love ourselves. Not in some egocentric way. But it, you have to understand your value and, and what your value is to God. And out of that, when you understand who you are in Christ, is going back to that identity in Christ, then you can understand, hey, that person is somebody that Jesus died for too. No matter how terrible I may see them, think of them in this moment, there's still Jesus hung on a cross for them. And so in the Gospels, we see this acted out many times. As Jesus tells the early disciples, they have to leave their old life. They got to leave it. They got to walk away from it. They got to turn and go. Going as far as abandoning their plow, their fishing net, to leave their jobs. He even got, went as far as it said, hey, you need to forsake your own family. That's real popular.
But yet, it's, and I'm not saying, look, you have to do what the Lord tells you to do. And if anything's off limits, that's an area that you've reserved control of. Now, I don't think that God has any problem with a lot of things. I don't think God has any, I mean, you could take Abraham and Isaac. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Is that God never wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. I don't believe it. I just believe that he wanted to know and Abraham knew that Isaac is not more important than my obedience to the Lord. And that's basically what the angel tells Abraham. Hey, now I know you can be trusted. Take the boy off the altar. We got a ram over here. Let's take care of business. Let's get out of here. That's my condensed version of that story. So God doesn't have a problem with us having family. God doesn't have a, a problem with us even having things. What he has a problem is when they are more important than our obedience to him. That's where the problem comes. So as serving Jesus, it's not comfortable. It's not convenient always. I mean, I know you're like, God, you know everything. Couldn't we have done this at a more convenient time? And he's like, no, I wanted to inconvenience you. I wanted to make you uncomfortable. Why? Because there's growth in our uncomfort, but yet we love comfort. That American kingdom is built upon comfort. I mean, if you want to take American culture in a nutshell, put a lazy boy in front of a TV and a snack. Comfort, food, some entertainment, like, boom, we're there. See, salvation is free. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. It will. And he's going to require some things of us. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes and, and he's talking to a church. And he says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I think this is kind of a funny question. It's like, is there any upside Seems like rules and regulations and seems heavy. And he says, is there any encouragement about this? Is there any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? And then he switches gears a little bit on them. And he says, are your hearts tender and compassionate? He says, then make me truly happy by wholeheartedly agreeing. And I've highlighted a few words here. With each other. In other words, there's got to be unity. You've got to love one another and this isn't like brotherly love this is agape love this is like God's kind of like you it's a very deep love for one another and working together I mean can you imagine if we just agreed loved and worked together that's a pretty good recipe you probably have a really amazing church Just these three little elements right here. He goes on. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. He says, be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. He says, don't look out for only your own interest, but take an interest in others too. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. In other words, he was perfectly equal. It says, instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave or a servant and he was uh, born as a human being. 
So the wisdom of the scriptures is, hey, you need to think just like Jesus did. How did Jesus do miracles? Because he loved people. Because he served people. How did Jesus do all the things that he did? And I believe that, and, and I believe this is part of why Paul asked the question, are your hearts tender and compassionate? It's amazing to me every time in the scriptures that you say that, or you see that Jesus was moved with compassion, something amazing happened because he acted on the compassion that God had put in him. I mean, many miracles that we read about and that we talk about that Jesus did were predicated upon his compassion. So let me ask you today, are your hearts tender today? Are they compassionate today? Are you willing to be inconvenienced in the middle of your day? To be obedient, to maybe take a step out of your way to do something for somebody? To make the phone call? To make the visit, whatever it may be? See, when we have the idea that, hey, it's not my kingdom, I'm here to serve that becomes no longer optional because the king doesn't give a suggestion. He gives instructions. And yet we want to say, well, I think the Lord was telling me. Well, if you think, he probably did. Let me just help you a little bit there. See, the truth is, is that we all are gifted. We all have things. God has wired us, created us uniquely for his purpose, for his, the Bible says, so that people would see our good works and they would begin to glorify him. This is very true. But even in our individualized mindsets, we can begin to get the idea that says, hey, yeah, I've got God-given gifts and I'm important and I need to use my gifts and I need to be seen and I need all these things. Those things are all true. But let me give you another definition of your gift. Your gift is a tool in the king's hand. And I think sometimes we can give too much emphasis upon my gift or what I have or what I can do or my abilities. Or, and we begin to get in that mindset where it's all about what we can do, not remembering without him the tool doesn't move. I mean, I've shared this before, but I pray a prayer almost every time before I speak. And it comes out of Psalms. And it goes like this. And I, for years, I prayed it this way. Lord, I thank you that my tongue is the pen of a ready writer, ready to write upon the hearts and the minds of men and women. So I thank you that as I speak today, that they don't hear from me, they hear from you. I prayed that for years. And then after a number of years, I added this little bit because it just gave me a little bit more clarity. But just as a pen is useless without somebody to pick that thing up. Holy Spirit, I have nothing to say without you. And I need you to speak through me this morning. That's the difference. One, you can fall into the idea like, oh, I got a gift. I'm something special. No, you're a tool in the toolbox. And I'm not trying to diminish that, but it does give perspective. And so what's the purpose of a tool? I have lots of them. To be used. I don't like new tools. I judge people that have new looking tools. Just like you ain't used that. It needs to be beat up a little bit. It needs to look worn a little bit. No, we're, we're to take our gifts and we're to utilize them as the master sees fit. So he determines the when and the where and the how. 
First Peter chapter 5 actually tells us that if we'll submit ourselves under the hand of God, that he will exalt us when he sees fit. And so many times, I, look, I, I speak for me. I get very impatient with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, why do I have to wait? And he's like, because you need to learn some patience. Calm down, buckaroo. You can wait. I don't like to wait. Lord's like, but you need to wait because there's some things in you that need to be fashioned and shaped and some things that need to be developed in you because if I stick you out there, you're going to burn out. You're not ready for what you think you're ready for. I've had the Lord tell me that a number of times. I'm like, yes, I am. I've shared this before, but just a funny thing. Before Darren and I had ever stepped into lead pastoring a church, which was nine, almost nine years ago now, the year prior, like at year nine, ten-ish, I thought, man, I am so ready to pastor a church. Like, I've got this in the bag. This is easy stuff. It wasn't quite that bad, but I thought, man, I can figure this out. I have ten year, almost ten years of ministry experience and all these things, and I just thought, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this thing. My gift, I, I'm ready. God, just give me that opportunity. There was a season there where I thought it's time and the doors didn't open. And I just trusted the Lord. I wasn't upset about it. I'm just like, all right, Lord, you just got to give me some wisdom. Fast forward about 18 months, 20 months later, God opened the door and I was completely freaked out. And I knew one thing, I am not able to do this. Not because I had even tried yet. I hadn't even tried yet. But when I was confident that I could do it, God said, you're not ready. Like, let me just make it real practical for you. You may be believing for some provision in your life. And God's saying, if I bless you now, you'll waste it. You need to develop. You need to learn. You need to let me help you so that you can actually handle the blessing that I want to bring in your life. And we want to get mad at God saying, where's my blessing? And he's like, I'm waiting on you to grow up. Now, I know that's direct, but there's opportunities just like me with, with pastor. When I thought I had it, God probably laughed at me and rightfully so. I was like, no, you don't. And when I was scared out of my mind, he said, it's time. But you know what, what, what that humility in me created was an absolute dependence upon the Lord. God, if you don't do this, I can't do this. And God was faithful and God helped and God came along. But it took an, a, a humble attitude to say, God, Holy Spirit, I need your help. But our, our individual mindset can actually war against that. Like, I don't need help from anybody. I'll figure it out. I, I, I'm smart. I got, I got abilities. See, here's the thing about the kingdom of God is that there is no self-promotion in the kingdom of God. There's really not. You say, oh, but they've, you know, we live in the day of like instant platforms and all these things. Like, yeah, but they don't last. You'll see those people come and go. Here today, gone next week. You'll see it. They might even have a longer run than that. 
but it won't be sustained. Let me give you one last passage of scripture here as we're wrapping up today. I believe it'll kind of encapsulate what I've been sharing with you is that if you hear nothing else today, hear this. You are called to be a servant. Doesn't matter the function, we are all called to serve. Every single one of us. And yet our culture really fights against the ideas that Jesus talks about. And there's an account here in Matthew 20. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to read a few of the verses. But you can go read it in context if you want later. But in Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to read verse 20 and 21. It says, uh, The mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt down respectfully to ask him for a favor. So in other words, she approached him the right way. And he asked, and he says, Well, what's your request? And she responds and says, Hey, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in the places of honor right next to you. One at your right hand and one at your left. And there's a dialogue that happens, and Jesus is like, Ma'am, you have no idea what you're asking for. He's like, Are they really ready to make the sacrifices and all the things? And then he kind of concludes and he says that, Hey, I'm not the one who makes that decision. So you're asking the wrong person, basically. And that's my paraphrase of it. But then, so that, um, here the James and John, they're two of the 12 disciples. Well, when the other 10 hear this, the Bible says they became indignant. They were furious. They were angry. Why? Because you can actually, if, if you've never thought about this, when you go and read about the disciples, you're going to think about this now. They were always jockeying for position. Who was closest to Jesus? I mean, I can't imagine what it was like at the Last Supper. Who gets the seat closest to Jesus? Like, I bet they were running in there, pushing each other sliding in like oh can you slide over a little bit you know just because that's just kind of how they were and you see it right here it says when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked they were indignant they're furious but Jesus called them together and he says you know the rulers of this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them it says but so this is the way the, the world works this is the way the outside, this is the way it works outside of my kingdom. It says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be the leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, I believe one of the, the greatest missing traits in the church is actually humility. And unfortunately, and we've all had experiences, some of us were the one, and some of us have experienced it more so necessarily, but that there's been a lot of arrogance in the church. And that's just part of being human. That's flesh. Left to ourself, what else do we expect? But yet God calls us to be humble. In other words, what is humility? It's a proper view of yourself. In week one, I told you that one of the things that is, is that we needed to think uh, less of ourselves. Selfless, right? And I don't mean that from a standpoint of like, oh, I'm just nothing and I have nothing and I'm terrible and I'm, I'm just zero. No, 
I'm a child of the Most High God who was bought with the most precious thing that has ever seen the face of the planet, which was the blood of Christ. And the price paid for something determines its value. And so you're pretty important. You're pretty valuable. Not because of who you are, not because of your gift, but because of the price that was paid for you. But when we understand that and we can keep it in proper perspective of that God, without you, I have nothing to give to anybody. But Holy Spirit, with you, I have everything. I have life. I have peace. I have healing. I have joy. I have acceptance. I have love. I have all of these things to share with all the humanity around me. But it's when I keep that proper perspective of, man, I am just a servant. I'm here to serve and to love and to represent Jesus to the world around me. And so, Jesus, whenever you come calling, my answer is to you is yes. Whether I understand it or not, whether it makes sense or not, whether it makes me comfortable or very uncomfortable, God, my answer to you is yes, because I'm your servant. I'm here to do what you desire. I mean, the Bible says this way, is that our life is not our own because it's been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Our life, your life, is not your own. My life is not my own because I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I've been healed by the blood of Jesus. I've been set free by the blood of Jesus. And that's why I serve him. And that's why I lay aside what I want and I will take up what he wants and say, yes, sir. I'm here to serve because you came to serve me. And the reality is is that we are never more like Jesus than when we serve. Ever. Why? Because Jesus came to serve. Jesus was inconvenienced by people all the time. Jesus was going to take a nap and he would see people come and he'd be like, oh. Woo. I needed that nap because he had been busy with people. I'm not, this is actually in the Bible, by the way. He was on his way to lay down. He's like, I'm exhausted. I've been with people all day. I don't want to be with anybody else. But he, has, he says, as he looked at them, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. And so instead of going to take his nap, he turned around and went to the people. That's a servant. Now you can't live in that place. Because you can only give what you've got. And obviously Jesus had a supply. He had some reserves in there to still give out. And that's a very important part, which we may talk about in one of the coming weeks. We're not wrapping up this series today, by the way. We're going to keep it. We've got several things that the Lord's put in my heart. Um, one of which is going to be about rest. <coughs> things that I've learned in the last couple of weeks that I don't do very well at. That That's a very different principle, though, for us as Americans. Another week. 
but I'll repeat it and then we'll close. That you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving others. Ever. You're here to serve. You're here to love. The unlovable, the unlikable, the unthinkable. We're here to love. Not just those that we approve of. If Jesus loves them, we're supposed to love them. That's the truth of the scriptures. And so this morning, I want to pray over you. We'll conclude the service here in just a few moments. But Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning. Father, I thank you for your truth. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, that it's your word that makes the difference in our mind, in our hearts, in our souls. Father, that it's your word that transforms our lives. So Father, we just open up ourselves to you in a fresh way this morning. And we ask you, Lord, if there's any, just as as David wrote in the Psalms, if there's any way in me that you don't like, anything in me that offends you, Holy Spirit, we ask you to illuminate that. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you speak and that we hear your voice accurately and clearly, even the, the faintest whisper we would hear. But you're going to lead us into all truth. You're going to guide us into wisdom and understanding that you have for our lives that we need so desperately so that we can live with a kingdom mentality, a kingdom understanding. That we're here to serve and we're here to love and we're to to even sacrifice at times on behalf of others. But Father, this is the life that you've called us into because it's the life that you lived. But Father, we thank you today for who you are who you are to us, what, you're, what you've done in us, what you are doing in us, what you will do in us into our future. Father, we thank you that you are continually, continually working and, and moving in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.